In today's episode, we are talking about brands rebranding in a good way, in a bad way, why brands even rebrand, and how it impacts consumers like us and our everyday life. So let's dive in. Let's do it. I bought a pair of shoes that I didn't need. The same ones I saw on my Instagram feed. My feet hurt real bad and my bank account's dry. I made a bad decision and I don't know why. Some people may say I blew it, but marketing made me do it. So our fifth attempt, I feel like, (laughs) at getting this (laughs) podcast started. It's been a while. We actually paused last week. Uh, We did not have a mini episode because of everyday life. (laughs) Um, So Sydney and I are getting back in the swing of things today. But yeah, so welcome to Marketing Made Me Do It. Let's see if I get this right this time. We are a new podcast that is about marketing and how it impacts our life and our everyday decision making. Thank you very much, (laughs) Sydney. I feel like we've forgotten how to podcast after Um, just a week off. Yes, we need to stop taking breaks, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Have to do it every week. But yeah, I'm Sylvia, your host and working with Sydney. Hi. (laughs) All right, let's uh, get it together. Uh, Like always, we typically like to start our podcast or long episode with just talking about what's new in life and what marketing made us do in the last, well, now three weeks um, or didn't make us do. Sydney, do you have anything that marketing made you do? Yeah. So I've said it before on the podcast and I'll, I'll just say it again, that marketing really doesn't impact my decision making. <clears throat> just kidding. <laughs> totally <laughs> joking with you. But I couldn't think of anything for this. However, I did buy something for the podcast, and I feel like that is marketing made me do it, buying things in order to promote them on social media later and create better content. And so instead of spoiling it for you, we'll have an unboxing on our next episode, our mini-sode next week. And I was wondering, Sylvia, do you have any guesses as to what we'll be unboxing I really don't. I have been racking my brain since you told me that you bought something, but didn't tell me what. Like I said, like I texted to you, I thought at first you entered that cheese uh, mischief shoe raffle. Swiss cheese boot. (laughs) Yeah, Swiss (laughs) cheese boot that we talked about in one of our mini episodes. But that would be a very hefty investment for just an unboxing for this podcast. So unless obviously it's your style and you would wear it every day. (laughs) But I really have no idea. So I I think we're unboxing this coming weekend, so I cannot wait. Mm -hmm. I already uh, blocked off my day and (laughs) I'm ready to be surprised. Yeah, so that's my marketing made me do it. And you'll have to wait until next week to find out what marketing made me do. What do you, what about you? What did marketing make you do? Marketing did not make me actively do anything, although it made me, or it makes me think about things. So one of the things that for some reason I'm constantly right now being served these ads about hair growth and hair structure. And I'm not sure why, especially on Instagram, let's call it, let's call it out. Instagram apparently thinks that I need to improve my hair growth. (laughs) 
I don't know what signals I gave the platform to show me these ads, but now I'm critically looking into the mirror every morning. <laughs> oh no. And I'm like, do do I need some support in this area? If you don't know me, I have pretty thick hair, although, you know, everyday life and stress we know can impact uh, hair fallout, but I I don't think I need any serums at this point in my life, maybe in 10 years or so, who knows. But uh, yeah, that that just made me think, do I need supplements? Do I need hmm. serums? But yeah, that's, uh, again, not something I've act- actively purchased because of marketing, but it's making me think, why, Instagram, why? Yeah, I wonder if, so you turned 30 this year, and maybe it's one of the fun, like, you're getting older, Instagram <laughs> ads that's just targeted by age. Maybe. <laughs> like, wrinkles, hair loss. Yeah, I'm yeah. a woman between 30 and exactly. 40. Like, maybe let's get her thinking about this and being Be proactive. But your hair is beautiful. I'm so envious. You have the most beautiful thick hair. Well, thank you. You don't, you don't need that <laughs> unless you're inspired to. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think I'm going to bite. Um, but yeah, that was very interesting. It's really been for the last three weeks very consistently. Huh. Yeah. That is interesting. So, so speaking of hair loss... That transitions beautifully into our next topic, which is rebranding. Oh, yeah, does it? <laughs> Let me think. Yeah, I guess. I mean, our first topic of part of the rebranding is beauty related. So you lose your hair and you gain new hair. See what I did there? Beautifully said. <laughs> beautifully said, Sydney. I know why you're in marketing. <laughs> But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. We're talking about uh, rebrands today. Good rebrands, bad rebrands, questionable that are kind of good. They've done some things right and they've done other things wrong. (laughs) And um, it really is more of a passion topic for me specifically. I did a master's in brand management and I always find it extremely fascinating to explore rebrands, why they rebranded how they did it, and how it impacted their consumers, or us, ultimately. We are consumers, so how do rebrands impact us? Do you want to start off with an example, just to let people know what is a rebrand? Yeah, absolutely. So story time. We've mentioned, I think, before that, or I might have mentioned before, that I am subscribed to a beauty box called, well, formerly BoxyCharm, but... As of this year sometime, I think a few months ago now, um, Q1 or Q2 of this year, BoxyCharm actually merged with Ipsy and Icon Box, which are also beauty subscription boxes. I was subscribed to Ipsy. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they were a little bit different. The value proposition for BoxyCharm was you get uh, really high-end products that are worth like $150 plus a month in a little box and it would range based on your preferences from skincare to makeup and so every month you got a boxy charm that was you paid for like 20 bucks if i remember correctly with ipsy it was 25 dollars for five products and you got a little bag or a little like clutch thing so we got an extra bag for the five dollars I just got random emails from BoxyCharm or Ipsy, I should say, all of a sudden, where it was like, 
choose your Ipsy box. And I'm like, what? I'm not subscribed to Ipsy by choice. Exactly. I'm like, what's happening? So um, what happened ultimately is that all of the three boxes, I've never heard of Icon Box. I don't know how Icon Box differentiated. I'm assuming it's probably a similar concept. So yeah, all of a sudden I was getting emails from Ipsy and choosing your product and downloading this Ipsy app. And I was just hella confused. I was like, Mm -hmm. what is going on? Until I actually Googled and found out that BoxyCharm, Ipsy, and Icon Box are now one big company. The price increased because of it. Like now I think it boxes like 30, 35 bucks. I am still subscribed to it, but I'm actively thinking about unsubscribing because I honestly don't know what the value proposition is of them merging because I still get the similar high-end products or a mixture of products. So that is, I feel like a, a meh questionable rebrand where they really didn't communicate very well what why they merged what the benefit is to the consumer why it's now ipsy versus boxycharm and so on and so forth so yeah i canceled right around that time because number one i had too many products i it stresses me out having like again five mascaras and you know they expire and i just no i don't like it i don't need extra stress from product overload I don't know. I found it all confusing and I didn't want to learn anything new. So I just canceled and that was fine. Yeah. Definitely not not a winner for us. But um, there's a number of reasons that brands might rebrand. And I'm just going to go through them pretty quickly. So the first reason is a brand wants to grow and evolve. Pretty straightforward, simple. As we, you know, as humans grow and evolve from baby to adult so do brands yeah and as our community changes too as society changes your brand might not be relevant anymore absolutely so the next one is they want to reposition themselves within a market a brand might want to expand into a brand new market whether it's a new location or a new product offering they might want to expand their target audience yeah lego comes to mind for that one (laughs) because they actually you know lego the building blocks for kids. Yes. My fiance is obsessed with building Legos <laughs> and he is no kid anymore. <laughs> did they rebrand for adults? Like, I guess they did. Yeah. They you know, with all the Star Wars yeah. and Harry Potter. I mean, I think it's still relevant for kids, but I think they're definitely expanding their target audience to also nice. capture the big kids. That's a great example. I've seen like the floral arrangements of Legos. Have you seen those? Oh, yes. Those are so cool. And the Chandler Mall actually has one. It's beautiful. Yeah. So... That's a great example. The next is they might need to rebrand out of necessity following negative PR or a social shift. Next up, we have rebranding due to a merger or acquisition. Well, I feel like we've kind of talked about that. With- <laughs> I was going to say, which is what Ipsy Boxy Charm didn't do. So they didn't change their names. We're just very confused about that still. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's very interesting. And then finally, the last reason we identified as to why brands rebrand is to get people talking or maybe it's like a PR stunt. Yeah, totally. I feel like that, um, especially when it comes to personal brands, is oftentimes mm-hmm. what happens. It's like any press is good press. Yep. To not go further into the actual theories behind rebrands and all the all the more technical things, Uh, We'd rather focus on uh, brand examples like, you know, brands that have done rebrands well and brands that have done rebrands terribly. And so we started or we are starting our rebrand award show, if you will. (laughs) 
do you want to kick us off with your worst award for rebrand? Yes. So the worst award for rebrands, from my perspective, goes to Drumroll Kia. And I first learned about their rebrand actually from you. We were on a drive a year ago. Yep, in May. Yeah, and you said to me in the car, and I still remember, you said, well, it's only been a year, so (laughs) I still remember. You said, I keep seeing these KN cars everywhere. What? I'm curious what the KN cars are. So you were driving, and I just Google searched it, and I was like, it's Kia. Who knew? But you were the first one to kind of introduce me to this rebrand that they had done. I was flabbergasted. Yeah. And so you might have seen a car driving around over the last couple of years. Nope. Yeah. Over the last couple of years with the KN. That's not a new brand of car. That's Kia. So if you've been out of the loop, that's what that is. I want to start off by going over the history of Kia. So what is the history bu- of Kia? Buckle in. <laughs> Kia is South Korea's oldest manufacturer of motor vehicles. Um, They were founded in 1944. They started by manufacturing steel tubing and bicycle parts. Um, They actually produced Korea's first domestic bicycle in 1951. So they've come a long way since making bikes. They have grown over the years to become the world's fifth largest vehicle manufacturer. Today, Kia produces more than 1.4 million vehicles a year. They have 14 assembly operations. They have more than 3,000 distributors and more than 40,000 employees. And they make revenues of more than 17 billion. So they're not small potatoes anymore. Any questions? (laughs) (laughs) It's very fascinating. You know, for me, and that may go into the rebrand that you're going to talk about is I mean, I'm German, so I mean, we're the masters of all car manufacturing. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. My car is Japanese. So. <laughs> I know, I know. There's a lot of good stuff out there. I'm just kidding. But you know, we are as a as a country that manufactures a lot of high quality cars. For me, Kia was always like a, you know, a, a, not a cheap car, but a, an affordable car. You know, I I can't really speak to Kia because I've never driven one and or owned one. But, and I feel like their previous logo really matched that perception of it's an affordable car that takes you from A to B. And I love that you mentioned that. So that's a large part of why they did the rebrand. So even though I'm putting Kia at the worst, the they get the worst award, I still have to give them props because of what they were trying to do. They interviewed people from around the world, Kia owners, people who didn't own a Kia, and they asked them about the brand perception. And that was largely what people said. It was an affordable vehicle, durable. And yeah, it was it was not a splurge, though. It wasn't like your dream car. If you had a Kia, you had it for economic reasons. Mm -hmm. So that's what they found when they did a lot of research. And so props to Kia. They did research when doing this rebrand. It wasn't for nothing. And they launched in a big, big way. So they rebranded. They launched in January 2021. They launched a new brand name, a new logo, and a new tagline with an epic light show. So Really? <laughs> yeah. Where did they launch that? So that was in South Korea, from my understanding. 
And they set the Guinness World Records for the most unmanned aerial vehicles launching fireworks simultaneously. They had 303 pyro drones. And so you can look the video up on YouTube. It's pretty awesome that they just have all of these drones releasing fireworks and showcasing this new brand image in the sky over this body of water. It's pretty amazing. Wow. Yeah. Who knew? Mm-hmm. So they went they went hard with this new rebrand. And I say they rebranded their name. They changed their name. They removed motors from their name. So instead of Kia Motors, they switched to just become Kia. They also launched with that fireworks show a new slogan, Movement That Inspires. So that's their new slogan. So if you haven't seen the new Kia logo, I'll do my best to describe it to you. It looks like a K <laughs> next to an N. You knew where I was going with this. <laughs> But just like shoved against each other. So there's no gap between the K and the N. And the N is the opposite way to like... The N is flipped opposite of how normal Ns are. Yeah. But it still looks like an N. And I think the the big issue is there's no like dash that there would be in an A. Mm -hmm. So that's where the KN comes. Um, It looks super clean, super modern. Very luxurious. Mm-hmm, very luxurious. So when asked about why they selected the specific visual elements... They said they sealed their brand promise by developing a logo that resembled a handwritten signature. So I thought that was kind of cool. Like you're sealing in a promise with a signature. Just if, if that signature could just include that dash in the A. Yeah. That would be cool. That would be great. But you know how sometimes you don't dot your I's or, or cross, cross your, your T's. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so they just didn't cross their A in the signature. But I thought that was that was kind of a cool. It's like a brand promise and that was their logo representation. They also mentioned that the rhythmical unbroken line of the logo conveys their commitment to bringing moments of inspiration while its symmetry represents confidence. I think they really do want to be more of a prestige kind of car. They want to be the world's leading manufacturer of electric vehicles. Interesting. So that's something they're moving into. And they removed the word motor to not just focus on automobiles, but on all forms of transportation. So they didn't want to be just aligned with vehicles they want to be the future of transportation and mobility mobility yes yeah and mobility Um, so why would you say why would you put them in the worst rebrand category then yeah so there was so much intentionality so much expense it must have cost them i mean fireworks guinness world of record like let's let's go but it must have cost them so much there was intentionality. There was research. There was a whole rollout for this brand. But they're in the worst category because they just didn't add a dash to their A. <laughs> it's really, that's it. If you look at the reaction for how this this new brand was received, um, you can look on Google Trends. And since 2021, since they rebranded, you'll see that people have been searching for what is KN car? So the similar questions that you asked when we were driving. And in the last 12 months, even though the brand has been out for a while now, there have been approximately 480,000 searches for KN car related searches. Huh. And that's just in the US. So almost a half million people have this year alone or the last 12 months searched for KN car. One of the reasons why I wouldn't consider them 
necessarily fully deserving of this worst award is because they got people talking. People are searching about this brand. And when someone searches for it, it's just more likely to stay in, stay in your mind. They're taking an action mm-hmm. related to your brand. And I think that's pretty impressive. The amount of people they've gotten talking about their brand and talking about KN. They also, as of May 20, May 2023 was their 10th consecutive month of year on year sales increases. So I also wanted to see like, what does a rebrand do on the profitability of a brand? A poor rebrand can have devastating effects on a brand in its longevity and its financial success. So um, for them, they're, they're thriving. They're doing great. Mm, That's good. That's awesome. So that's enough about Kia. What is your worst award drumroll the worst award goes to worst award goes to netflix and their former sidekick quickster which does that ring a bell to you no no i've been in netflix stealing subscriptions from netflix (laughs) friends for a long time yeah i haven't ever paid them a dime but i i have used an account well, now you time. have to probably get your own account with their new not. model. Good luck. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe we'll start with the history before we kind of dive into yeah. like Quickster and all the things. So Netflix started out as a renting DVD by mail format. Yes, I actually did have that back in the day. Yep. Yeah. I didn't because I was in Germany. <laughs> and you were probably like a baby. So. Hello. I was in college. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. You, you would order your movie online they'd mail it to you and you'd ship that it was very nice actually i kind of miss it (laughs) really yeah just the work you had to do it felt really nice getting your movies in the mail gosh yeah no that would be something i would not subscribe to (laughs) that's too much work to me but um so this is how they started out with that dvd by mail type of service and then they you know knew that streaming was going to be the future and that's what they focused on to expand they wanted to bring TV and movies to the entire world, which they've accomplished now. Um, But back in the day, and I'm talking 20... Okay, I was maybe in high school, now that I think about it. (laughs) Yeah, I think I was late high school, early college when I had my subscription. Yeah, so I was in high school. But anyway, so back in 2011, they, you know, announced that they would have the streaming service... Netflix, and then split that DVD by mail service into a different brand, Quickster. Mm. And so in July 2011, they kind of announced it out of the blue of like, oh, we now have Netflix um, as the streaming service. And then we have the DVD by mail as a separate brand service, if you will. And instead of the $10 a month that the DVD rentals cost, they kind of doubled the cost. So they would not have everything under one umbrella. They had Netflix, which was, I think, starting back in the day at $7.99. I have no idea where we're at. I think like $14 or something now for an account. Or you could pay $15.98 to pair the Netflix streaming and the movie DVD by mail service. So you could have both for almost $16 or the streaming for $8. So that alone was very abruptly kind of announced. And the failure of the rebrand essentially is because they launched Quickster, which was the uh, DVD by mail part of the brand in September. 
and they closed it again in October of oh. 2011. So that was a very short-lived brand for Netflix. And the reaction of that split of the services and the increase in price was pretty rapid. And Netflix definitely was hit from a revenue perspective. Subscriber were really expressing their displeasure with the separation of the two brands and the DVD uh, rentals being expensive. And and especially if you don't really see the value in it, like why, you know, why can't they just have it all under one umbrella? What happened is that Netflix's stock lost about half of its value and the company in in its totality <laughs> lost about 800,000 US subscribers in wow. about two months. And so the CEO, Reed Hastings, acknowledged that he fudged up. He said, I messed up. I owe everyone an explanation. It is clear from the feedback over the past two months that many members felt we lacked respect and humility in the way we announced the separation of DVD and streaming and the price changes. That was certainly not our intent. And I offer my sincere apology. Kudos to Hastings for acknowledging his uh, misstep. And I think, you know, Netflix definitely is a fast-moving platform. They see potential. They act quickly on that, you know, whether it is starting with streaming and now actually having their own productions. But I feel like with this Quickster, they just were a little too quick. No pun intended. (laughs) Just to take me through the timeline, it was Netflix is the the mail-in stuff. And then they're like, oh, no, the mail-in stuff's now going to be Quickster. And we're going to make Netflix be the streaming service. Yep. And y'all are going to pay for both of those. You have the option to pay okay. for Netflix or for both of them, which is, was 15 But like or if 16. you want the mail-in, you're paying for both? Yeah. So even when you had Netflix at first, which then if you wanted to just have the DVD in mail service, which changed to Quickster, you still had to set up everything new. So the site's login credentials, billings, ratings, reviews, they were not integrated with the streaming services. So it was completely separated. The reviews that you had carefully added to the movies and your like wish list. I remember you used to have the wish list. It was like a library. You had to wait for the hot movies for months. Yep. So if you wanted to share your thoughts about this one movie on the streaming platform, you had to essentially copy and paste and oh. spend that extra five minutes to to share it on Netflix as well. And if you if you moved, if you had to update your credit card, you had to do that in two places and not in one. Yeah. So they rebranded and as a part of the rebrand made the experience very awful for consumers. Yeah, and Netflix already had traction, right, as a brand name. So there was already brand recognition attached to Netflix and not to Quickster. And so that's my assumption why they probably kept Netflix as the streaming Mm -hmm. platform. But ultimately, that was the failure. And what they wanted to do is extend or expand into a new market, right, and and target a new target audience. Mm -hmm. So poorly done, Quickster, Netflix, poorly done. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's why we they saw a huge uh, drop in numbers and uh, it took them about two years to recuperate their losses from this branding faux pas and quickly after you know they scratched quickster they really concentrated on expanding that streaming service um, where obviously mm-hmm. the future is 
this is an example where with Kia, you saw the increase in sales, uh, yeah. even though it wasn't, you know, perfect. Uh, with uh, Netflix, they had a couple of years of a rough patch and lost quite a bit of money, but um, they came stronger out on the other side. So good for Netflix. Sad for Quickster. <laughs> R.I.P. Quickster. R.I.P. <laughs> Moving on from the worst to the best. I'm curious. What do you got for us for the best rebrand? Drumroll. The best rebrand, in my opinion, is Dunkin' Donuts rebranding from Dunkin' Donuts to Dunkin'. No donuts. <laughs> but it's <laughs> about the donuts, though. It's not about the donuts anymore. <laughs> Since 2019, it hasn't been about the donuts. Tell me more. So my sources for this are DunkinDonuts.com. <laughs> Delish.com and ipressroom.com. So the story of Duncan began in 1948. So they have a legacy. They have history. Rebranding a a brand with history, I think, is always a little iffy. Yes, you have to do that carefully. Yeah, so they began in 1948 as a donut and coffee restaurant in Quincy, Massachusetts, And they were called Open Kettle at the time. Their founder, William Rosenberg, served donuts for five cents and cups of coffee for 10 cents. What? Can you imagine? Oh, my gosh. I'd be rich. Those were the times. After a brainstorming session with executives, he renamed his restaurant to Dunkin' Donuts in 1950. So they've been Dunkin' Donuts for a long time. Until... 2019, where they rebranded from Dunkin' Donuts to Dunkin'. They announced the change in September 2018, and they rolled out the change in January 2019 um, with signage you may or may not have seen. Their signage um, said things like, just call us Dunkin', and our friends call us Dunkin'. I thought that was kind of cute. (laughs) That is cute, but I have not seen that yet, no. And either way, Dunkin' Donuts, again, they have this history, they have this longevity, We've all heard of Dunkin' Donuts. They had also been using the tagline, America runs on Dunkin' for a long, long time at this point. So they already had kind of that history of just using the term Dunkin'. And before rolling this out, I think it's important to note that they shared that they tested the new brand name extensively. Yeah. Yeah. So my guess is they have franchises all over the world and they beta tested it at at some locations to see how, how it went. So they did their research, and why did they rebrand? I think the most obvious is that they don't just serve donuts anymore, so Mm -hmm. it was limiting the perception of them to say Dunkin' Donuts, and they really want to expand and focus on their drinks. Really? Yeah, so drinks are higher margin than donuts, so they make more money if they sell more drinks, and they want to be a competitor to, like, Starbucks. Ooh, those are big shoes to fill. Good good luck. (laughs) Um, there's also health trends around donuts, you know, Mm -hmm. low carb, no bread means also no donuts. And so by limiting them to just Dunkin' Donuts, they're excluding people who are health focused. That makes sense. So now they could be Dunkin' Salads, you know. (laughs) Okay. That's a visual I have to. One of their, and we'll, we'll post this on social, but one of their ad campaigns just had the word Dunkin' and underneath it, it had like that rotating carousel of, of words. So it was like Dunkin' hash browns, Dunkin' coffee, Dunkin'. I mean, one day it could say Dunkin' salads, Dunkin' donuts. 
Um, and that was one of the ways that they rolled out this campaign is just Duncan is the most important thing. And what comes below that is a variety of foods that appeal to a variety of people. I love that. That's such a clever way to, yeah, it was super educate cute. people. So the other reason that they rebranded according to the chief marketing officer for Duncan U.S., he is quoted in saying, by simplifying and modernizing our name while still paying homage to our heritage, we have an opportunity to, to create an incredible new energy for Duncan, both in and outside our stores. That's also kind of a, a word that you'll hear a lot with rebrands is new energy, you mm-hmm. know, re-energizing a new brand. And so that's what they're trying to do here. And I feel like that also goes hand in hand with making yourself more attractive to a new, potentially even younger audience, right? Younger demographic, um, which is why it is important for brands to occasionally, you know, freshen up their logo, freshen up their tagline or slogans and um, yeah, be more hip. Mm -hmm. And this, so what was the reaction for this? This wasn't a controversial rebrand. A lot of people said, I already called it Duncan, so this doesn't affect me. Was that was that your feeling on it as well? I didn't even realize that they had changed and removed Dunkin' Donuts until doing research for this podcast, to be honest. It was such a small change. Yeah, and I honestly don't know that our Flagstaff Dunkin' Donuts have caught on to that. Really? <laughs> Which, oh, it says two months ago they still have Dunkin' Donuts on their... Well, I might have to reevaluate how I feel about this being the best one. It's a little confusing, uh, Duncan. It's a little confusing, Duncan. Um, but anyway, the result of this rebrand, again, it was really minimalist, which buzzword. That's the word I was looking for. Buzzword. Minimalist. It was very, it was a very small change that some, like me, you didn't even notice that it had happened, which I think is a sign of a successful rebrand. They're not changing the legacy that they've built. They're just mm-hmm. improving upon it for the modern age. Um, the result is they removed a limiting factor from their brand without really sacrificing anything except the word donuts. Good job, Duncan. Great. So what is your best award? My best award. We're sticking with the food theme, which we both are foodies, so <laughs> not surprised there. But uh, one of my favorite beers, if I'm in the mood, is Guinness. And I feel like Guinness, it's a very, very old brand. I'll quickly touch on the history in a minute as well. But it really does a phenomenal job at adapting to consumer trends, pivoting to changing market conditions, and just evolving the brand overall. I feel like similar to what you just talked about with Duncan, Guinness over the 200 plus years that they are an established beer brand, they have their iconic icon is the harp. And so for those of you who don't know, Guinness is an Irish dry stout that originated in the brewery of Arthur Guinness at St. James Gate in Dublin, Ireland in 1759. So I think over 260 years old. Wow. I love Guinness. I'm so excited to be talking about this. It's so delicious. (laughs) But yeah, it is one of the most successful alcohol brands worldwide. It's brewed in over almost 50 countries and available in over 120 countries. And it's a very distinctive brand. Everybody who is semi-familiar with, I feel like, either Ireland as a country and culture or with beers, beer brands, you will be able to pick out that harp immediately when you see it without even it saying Guinness. 
So the very recognizable harp of the Guinness has been trademarked by Guinness in 1876. So it's been a wow. long, long time Guinness brand identity. There's a lot of history that goes into the harp. It is based off of uh, Brian Baru, who's known as the last high king of Ireland. And when the Irish Free State was established in 1922, it used the harp as its symbol for the new state. Got it. But even the Guinness font is a very distinctive font that has been pretty consistent over decades, um, centuries, if you will. And so one of the main pieces for this brand is just that consistency, why I think it has been so successful. The way they were able to keep it is just through modernizing it um, along the way. So every so often they, you know, slightly tweaked the icon to attract a younger audience and just to stay more relevant. Uh, you can you see that with a lot of car brands as well, like V-Dub comes to mind. They like looking at their previous logos, it's still VW but it's just modernized. And so why do I bring them up as a successful brand or rebrand? Even though they're the slight, slightest tweaks, they're still considered rebrands. And it is just, again, a way that they evolve over the years, right? They grow and evolve. And one of the main, I feel like, success formulas for Guinness is that they've stuck with the simple formula. They've, you know, they have very minimal changes throughout the years. They've had very different slogans. You know, for instance, Guinness is good for you in the 1920s when ads told you what's good for you, even if it is, (laughs) even if it's not like Coca-Cola had cocaine (laughs) in it, right? And it's like, it's great. It's good for you. Let's do math. Drink more cocaine. (laughs) Um, but you know, from that slogan of Guinness is good for you to Guinness, good things come to those who wait, the evolution of their slogans, um, kind of speaks to their evolution as a brand and their global brand director, Gren Wafer speaks to that. You know, she also acknowledges that the simple formula of their campaigns is something that has been successful when you, and quote, when you think about the made of more, it's actually evolved over the last eight years She says, we've moved it from being a campaign that was led by a metaphor into a campaign which tells human stories, and it is now a campaign that's trying to hit on some cultural touch points as well. I love that. And so I think that's a very powerful evolution of a brand if you, you know, stray away from just promoting your beer to actually telling stories, connecting with your target audience, and also evoking maybe some food for thought to your target audience with campaigns. And I know their surfer campaign did really, really well. Their St. Patty's campaign did really well for COVID where they not only, you know, acknowledged the sad part that we can't be together for St. Patty's Day with their messaging within that campaign. They were not only um, saying drink at home, <laughs> no, but they were also reminding the, the the public to drink responsibly, to be safe, and um, just to, yeah, focus on bigger matters than just the Guinness beer. That's why I feel like it's such a, such a huge brand, really successful rebrands on a consistent basis throughout centuries. And they actually won the Drum Marketing Awards uh, Investment in Brand category. And if you don't know, the Drum Awards is a global awards program that recognizes the best companies and people from across the marketing and communications industry. Congratulations, Guinness, on winning 
Keep it up. The best of. So one controversial thing, not to take anything away from Guinness. I love Guinness. They can still be your top one. (laughs) But I heard it was kind of controversial that they hired a London designer to rebrand their logo, at least their latest rendition. And I think there were a few people who thought it should have been an Irish marketing design company to rebrand it. Yeah, that's a good point. I I do feel like there's probably some rivalries that play into the sentiment there, um, especially since they're oftentimes looped into the Great Britain. It's all kind of the same. (laughs) You know, they all belong together, which they don't. And I feel like Irish are very proud people. And I kind of agree. It would have been probably a better choice to have an Irish company create that newest rendition. I wonder why they chose the London company. Yeah, I have no idea. But when something is so established with the sense of place, um, it it is, I mean, that would be our first choice, I think, as a marketing agency, is get a designer who is the most familiar or who has a background and who can connect. So that brings us kind of to the last part. How long does it take for a brand to rebrand successfully? And I feel like it varies quite a bit. You know, from a Guinness perspective, these small tweaks may not quite take quite as long as some bigger rebrands where you're really completely changing your brand identity and educating your audience on a new brand image that you want, you know, want to be perceived as. And so according to a Forbes article, it takes 12 to 18 months to rebrand successfully. So that's quite a bit of time. And why does it take so long? Because you really want to make sure that you do it right. Because there are quite a few pitfalls along the way. Yeah, so some of those pitfalls we have seen through this episode, through the worst examples. Um, The first is not doing enough research. Yeah, that's a big one. If you don't do a lot of research and you just kind of... Do it off the cuff. You know, we've seen it in the past with Gap. I don't know if you remember that awful rebrand of a logo. They did the little like square thing. Yeah. Yeah. It was just boring. And who knows why they did it? Because Gap, the letters G-A-P and the logo had such a strong brand like recognition and and brand identity or brand image associated with it already. So the rebrand lasted six days. The next one, which we've seen recently, we've talked about on our mini-sode. I feel like we've given too much airtime to this brand, um, the brand we have as an example. But the next one is not developing a brand strategy or clear brand identity. Example, Googling X logo and then just picking the first one, but not doing any research, not figuring out where you want this brand to go. I'm making an assumption that the new Twitter logo was very rushed and there was no research behind it. It feels that way, at least, as from a consumer. Yeah, no brand strategy behind it, not research. The next one is changing just to change. Again, this is more of a perception from a consumer standpoint of things. And you can just picture, I feel like changing to change, it's like you know it when you see it, but you don't know for sure. You don't know the background behind all of these rebrands, but like you kind of could guess that they just, there was a group of people in a room and they're like, you know, I'm tired of our logo. I could use, I, I want to see something else. Yeah. And that's the extent of the conversation. The next one is just not going all in. And there's a few brands I think of as an example. Dunkin' Donuts, we just talked about. We've got a Flagstaff, I'm sorry, Dunkin'. 
<laughs> We've got a Dunkin' and Flagstaff, but it still says Dunkin' Donuts on the sign. So is it Dunkin' or is it Dunkin' Donuts? It's been Three, four years. Four years. Yeah, get it together. And we were talking earlier today offline about our Burger King. Same thing, Burger King rebranded. I think in 2021, they have like a kind of a retro burger logo, and I really like it. But our... Burger King has simultaneously both logos, you know, one on their building and one on their sign. And it's just confusing. If you're going to rebrand, spend the money, invest, go all in, go big, because it's confusing to consumers to do otherwise. The last one is poor PR stunts. Um, Just to gain some chatter or momentum. Can you think of any examples there? Yeah. So this was in the running for worst rebrand and it was ihops change to ihob and i'm ihop with a p versus (laughs) ihob with a b and international house of pancakes that's ihop they changed to international house of burgers for a very short time oh my gosh but they they actually did change their brand for a very short time before they changed it back Mm -hmm. because they wanted people to know like we don't just do pancakes guys we do burgers and so it got people talking about IHOP again, but also it's, again, it's confusing because even now, I think this was years ago, but now I was like, is it IHOP or IHOP? It's a risky move to do a PR stunt with yeah. your brand. Yeah, it can confuse more than, can, than it can help. All of this to say, I feel like it was a fun episode to dive into some brand examples of good rebrands or poor rebrands. But really, overall, good rebrands are the ones that are intentional and that really are more consumer-centric based on our needs and what we want as a consumer versus, you know, self-centered where it's like, I feel like changing. I want to be more modern. Yeah, I feel like changing my brand because I like it better. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the two major takeaways that we wanted to share today is – you know, brands have to evolve to to align with our changing consumer trends, needs, desires, and also social norms, right? Because mm-hmm. we as um, societies and cultures change all the time and evolve all the time. So clearly brands do have to change as well. We know change is not easy. Um, some people are more hesitant to change. Others welcome it with open arms. But really... Communicate with your brand. If there is a rebrand, you're confused about why they're rebranding and you have such a close connection with the brand that you don't want to just unsubscribe, for instance, um, reach out to them on social. Ask like, hey, what the heck is happening here? Why are you changing your your brand identity? Why are you changing your mission, vision, whatever it is? Ask them. And if you know more and more people ask them, chances are that they're actually going to make a statement or explain themselves. And then also just critically review if the brand still aligns with you. I mean, just because they changed and their mission or vision changed doesn't mean that you have to change to their mission and vision. I feel like it's very important that you just stick to your guns and stick to your personal brand and just make that decision consciously to follow or unfollow a brand's evolution. (laughs) So, Sydney, tell me, what is up next? So, I'm going to do this in a special accent, and we're going to practice between now and the next episode to see if we get better. We're doing, ready? 
we're going to talk about marketing in the 1950s. Join us as we explore ads from the 1950s. <laughs> That's a hard accent to do. I'm going to practice between now and the next episode. But I bought a, I bought some antique magazines from the 1950s. True story. That's what they're called. And we're going to dive in to see how marketing has changed from the 1950s to now. I cannot wait. That sounds like so much fun. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did... Like our podcast. Like our podcast. Follow, subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. We would truly appreciate it. Otherwise, we look forward to chatting again next week. And if you miss us before then, you can follow us at Marketing Made Me Do It on Instagram. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye. (laughs) That got hard at the end. The Link Curtis Spray Net. No other way keeps hair so softly in place all day. Is that 50s?